We hear the following in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. It continues. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then the final two verses, these wonderful words. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This psalm is listed as a psalm. I wanted to begin here today as we continue to look at the life of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the one through whom God's promises would be fulfilled. One might object, as I have in the past, that God chooses to be known as the God of Jacob. Why not rather be known as the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac? We do, in fact, hear God referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In the first five books of the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, uh, the Torah. But when we come to the Psalms in particular, with the rest of the Old Testament, he's referred to as the God of Jacob. One could argue that we could find a more suitable candidate, but Scripture does not shy away from recording the failings of God's chosen people. As we saw when we looked at the series on evil, beginning with Adam and Eve, continuing with the flood, and then the Tower of Babel, God then chose Abraham, Abram at that point, and makes the promise that all nations on earth will be blessed through you. That it is God would solve the problem of evil through his chosen people. But as we have seen, the people of the solution are more like the people of the problem than anything. We see this in the life of Abraham as well as in his descendants. Just think of Abraham's record. We've seen this in this series, how he lied about Sarah being his wife. The first time uh, when they went to Egypt during a famine. The second time, more egregious, this was after the Lord had appeared to him and said within a year Sarah would have a son. And he allows Abimelech, in fact, to take her into his household. And then there's the story of Hagar and Ishmael. For my money, the people of the solution do sound more like the people of the problem. Jacob is no better. He refused to show kindness to his own brother, his twin brother Esau. When he came in hungry, starving, he wanted to eat. And Jacob said, listen, what do you have to pay for it? Give me your birthright. And then he elaborately, with the help of his mother, deceived his father to gain Isaac's blessing. This is not someone I would put on my reference if I was applying for a job. 
But as we have seen in this series, the story of Jacob is a story or a series of stories of God's grace. Having been chosen even before he was born, before he had done anything good or bad, God chose him. By the way, why the God of Jacob and not Abraham and Isaac? Well, Isaac is the child of promise. And there is obviously grace in everything God does. But, and Abraham is the one that God chose, even though he had a wife who was barren. But it is Jacob, before he is born, that God chooses to show his grace. He's the second born, but he is given the rights of the firstborn. And God chose him in grace. God's grace in Jacob's life continues in our study today. We'll be looking at extended passages here. But just a side note, you know, in preparing for this, I was somewhat disturbed to find that oftentimes these passages are skipped over. If you would look uh, online for a series of sermons on the life of Jacob, what we're going to look at today is usually skipped over. And I think that, in fact, is a mistake. So, we are in Genesis chapter 30. In verse number 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my homeland. This provides a timeline of sorts. Remember, he had to work seven years for Rachel, but then Laban deceived him. uh, And so he had to work another seven years. Well, he has finished the 14 years. And that's when Joseph is born. So his time is up. It's time he wants to go back home uh, to his father. But... In a way, perhaps, that we don't understand culturally, he has to ask permission of the head of the clan. He can't, he's not an American, just go willy-nilly wherever he wants. He must ask. And so he goes uh, to Laban and asks, in fact, if he could leave. Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Interesting. His homeland, they are pilgrims, they are wanderers in Canaan, but Jacob sees it as home. Verse 26, give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much I've done for you. So Jacob has a request. I want to go home. I want to take my wives and my children with me. Laban has a counter request, if you wish. Verse 27, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Um, It's interesting, Jacob is asking about his family. He wants to take his family, and Laban's thinking about wages. He's thinking about, you know, prospering financially. Um, And while Jacob may not have recognized it, Laban did, and the King James has he learned by experience, uh, NIV, he learned by divination, that God was gracious to Jacob, and since Jacob worked for Laban, Laban received some of the benefit of God's grace. And so he's unwilling to let Jacob go. I mean, he's doing really well because Jacob is there. So he doesn't want him to go. Um, so he makes a proposition in verse 28. Name your wages, and I will pay them. It's all about the money. Just well, not money, the sheep or whatever it is that they had. Uh, he wants to continue to f- prosper financially uh, because, and he knows this happens because Jacob is with him. So Jacob makes a counterproposal, verse 29. J- 
Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? So he begins by saying, listen, you know how I'm a hard worker. I've worked hard for you. Uh, your, your livestock has done really well under me. The little you had has increased because of the, t- well, the time I've been with you, and the Lord has blessed you um, wherever I have been. So this is a negotiation, and it's really interesting because Laban wants to keep the power position. So verse 31, what shall I give you, he asked. So it's like out of the bigness of my heart, what should I give you? And Jacob will not give away a position of power. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you're willing to do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban, that it be as you have said. Laban goes for this because he thinks, in fact, he's in the stronger position. Nobody wants speckled goats. Nobody wants sheep that are spotted. Okay? Most of the sheep in that era during that time were white. That's what people wanted. That's what they preferred. And so, yeah, let him get, keep the bad ones and I will keep the good ones. Verse 35. Uh, well, verse 34. Agreed, let it be as you have said. That same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. This is fascinating. I mean, this whole back and forth. uh, So Laban's like, yes, let's do that. I'll give you the really weak, you know, the the ones that nobody wants, I'll give them to you. And you take care of my sheep, and my sons will take care of your sheep. Well, apparently his sons hadn't done a great job because... He wasn't doing that well until Jacob showed up, but he is unwilling for Jacob to take care of his own sheep. He wants Jacob to take care of his sheep, of Laban's sheep, and his sons to take care of those. Um, Verse 36, um, then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So there's not going to be any blending over... But it doesn't really matter because Jacob's sheep and goats are very pronounced. They're not all white. They're speckled. They're spotted. But anyway, three days journey uh, between the two flocks. Laban tries to work the deal out in his favor. The speckled and spotted are weeded out and put under the care of his sons. While Laban's flocks are under the care of the one whom God is blessing. So he wants Jacob almost as a good luck charm to take care of his sheep, as though he were some type of magnet for God's blessing. They're both trying to outwit each other. 
Jacob is doing the same thing. Verse 37. This is one of the more puzzling passages in the Old Testament. Jacob, however, took fresh cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. Remember, Jacob's taking care of the all-white sheep, okay? He's taking care of Laban's sheep. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the men grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and men servants and camels and donkeys. So one commentator has referred to this as sympathetic magic. Um, but it's really troubling because there are some commentators like, no, it really works. You know, if you take these branches and you peel off the bark and whatever, and then when the animals you know, are mating and they look at that, then they will have speckled or spotted uh, animals. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't know about animals. I'm, I'm a modern person, and so I tend to go by science more than animal husbandry. Um, But we will see, I think in a few moments, that this in fact doesn't work. It seems to work, and that's why Jacob does it. But what I would point out is, God does not appear to be in Jacob's thinking at all at this point. God is in Laban's thinking. God will bless you, you know, he'll bless me because you're with me. But Jacob is resorting to magic in order to prosper. And in fact, he does prosper quite, quite, uh, quite a bit. He does this also, he selectively, he only does it with the stronger animals. So the weaker animals go to Laban and the stronger ones uh, stay with Jacob. And the result is he just becomes very prosperous. And in a short period of time, because we will see in a few moments, when he leaves, it's six years later. So in six years, Jacob becomes very, very prosperous. Now, what is troubling about this passage to me is the morality of it is not discussed. Okay. Um, Whether or not what Jacob did was right. uh, I think what it does tell us is that Jacob, at least in his mind, outwitted his father-in-law. But I would argue that what Jacob did was not right. The text doesn't tell us that. Anyway, we come now to chapter 31, Genesis 31. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Six years earlier, Laban's like, please stay. I I see that God blesses whatever you do. Six years later, yeah, he's not so sure because Jacob seems to be doing really well and Laban apparently is not doing as well. 
he and his sons are not happy with the results. But it is at this precise moment that God's grace is shown once again. Look at verse number three. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. One writer writes about this. What a showing forth of God's wondrous grace was this. And all that is told us about Jacob during the 20 years he spent in Paddan Aram, there, is not, there was not a word which intimates that he, that is Jacob, had any dealings with God during that time. There's, there's no mention of any altar, no reference to prayer, nothing to distinguish him from a thorough worldly, that is somebody of the world. It needs to be remembered that the altar speaks not only of sacrifice, but of communion with God. The altar pointed forward to Christ, and it is only in him that God and the redeemed sinner meet and commune together. Jacob then had no altar in Paddan Aram because he was out of communion with Jehovah. But if Jacob had forgotten the Lord, Jehovah had not forgotten Jacob. It reminded me of the passage in 2 Timothy 2. If we are faith, faithless, he will remain faithful. And I would say that to be faithless means to live as though God does not exist. And it seems that for 20 years, this is how Jacob lived. So here's about someone who uh, deceived his father. This is someone who got his older brother in a, a time of weakness to sell the birthright. This is not simple. This is not a good person. This is someone that God had made promises to. And yet... God doesn't seem to be a part of his life. Verse number four. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. And he said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. It's really interesting here in chapter 31 that suddenly as he is in a time of crisis, that God enters the picture. God speaks to him and says, go back home. And now Jacob, as he speaks to his wives, speaks of God being with him. Verse six, you know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance in our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, 
but he has used up what he paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. So Jacob wants to go home, but he needs to consult with his wives. He has four wives at this point, but the two sisters, Rachel and Leah. He has 11 sons. Um, He wants their okay to go back to Palestine, to Canaan. And he couches his argument in, in terms of God's actions or God's words. The God of my father has been with me. God has not allowed him to harm me. God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. The angel of God said to me in a dream, I am the God of Bethel. What is interesting is that he brings up the matter of a dream. And the dream, by the way, in essence, cancels out all his magic stuff. It is God, in fact, who has allowed, that has caused these animals to give birth to streaked or speckled or spotted animals. Sympathetic, is not, sympathetic magic is not the answer. It was God watching over him. There's no need for manipulation. Jacob thought he was being really clever. That somehow if he put these poles and if he selected the strong ones that he would prosper. And the angel of the Lord basically is saying, I've seen what Laban is doing to you and I've been taking care of you. It isn't because of any magical things that you have done. His wife's response, um, I would say, seized with resentment. Um, They mention God at the end, but they start out with, Listen, our father has treated us very poorly. We have no share in our father's estate. He regards us as foreigners. He sold us the dowry, but he kept the dowry and frittered it away. So they have nothing left of the dowry. The wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. In the dream, the angel of the Lord, who is the Lord, reminds him of what happened at Bethel 20 years before. Um, We might, in fact, focus on the promises that God made to him. I will be with you. I am with you. The promise of presence. I will keep you. The promise of action that he would take care of him. And I will bring you back to this land. That is, God would accompany him. He would protect him. He would bring him home. But that's only part of the equation. God speaks first, and then Jacob responds with a vow. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on the journey, this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I safely return to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Um, God has kept his promises, even though Jacob may not have remembered what God promised. Jacob has not kept his vows. I think if I'm Jacob, I'd be a little hesitant to bring up Bethel. Because if anything, it is not only a reminder of God's grace, It is a reminder of Jacob's failure. 
So they decide to go for it in verse number 17. And Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods he had accumulated in Paddan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. Um, in verse 3, the Lord had said to him, go back home, okay? Go back to your father's place, okay? There's not a word about, and sneak away. You know, deceive your father-in-law, sneak away. Um, as one author wrote, how little there was of divine guidance and faith in God. God said, go back. Okay, if God tells you to go back, then you should do that. But then Jacob resorted to trickery again, to sneaking away. And the text is very clear. Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him he was running away. It's deception by omission. It's something we haven't considered. We've talked about deception by commission. That's what he did with his father. You know, put on Esau's clothing. His mom cooked the food the way that Isaac liked it. He put on goat skins. You know, all these things that he did to deceive. He committed deception. But here it is deception by failing to tell Laban that he was leaving. One might argue, one might object, well, it was okay to deceive Isaac because he was going against God's will, that God said, it's the second one I've chosen. The, young, the older will serve the younger. Um, and one could say that Laban was acting against Jacob and his family's best interest, and that he was keeping him in Paddan Aram instead of allowing him to go back to the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and now to Jacob. Yeah, but this doesn't justify what Jacob did. And it's very clear in the text. He deceived his father-in-law. This particular passage in Genesis 31 really gives us keen insight into the kind of man that Laban was. We may have missed it up to this point. I don't think so. But he's basically a cheat. He's a deceiver. I mean, he put Leah in instead of Rachel. Uh, but it becomes very clear that this is not an honest man. And he is not an exclusive worshiper of God. That is, he has household gods. Uh, what we find is syncretism. That is, um, he worships God, I would suggest, but he also has some gods on the side, household gods. Um, Oscar had mentioned this earlier during the time for prayer, but I think that's probably true of many Christians as well that we worship God, but there are certain things we put our faith in uh, rather than our faith in God. I think this also speaks to Rachel, though. Why would she steal the household gods if, in fact, they were nothing to her? Um, they must have been part of her faith life as well. So the chase is on. Verse number 22. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Gilead, by the way, is east of the Jordan River near the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Um, it's quite a ways. It's about 360 miles away from Paddan Aram, uh, which means that Jacob and his company traveled rather quickly. 
Um, Laban finds out three days later, and if the flocks were three days apart, so three days, three days, and then seven days later, he catches up with them. That's 13 days later. Uh, that still means that uh, Jacob and his company were traveling, covering 27 miles a day. That's, that's quite a bit. Jacob was running away from Laban. Verse 24, to me it's just a key verse to this whole passage. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Okay, remember this verse, because it's just as clear as can be. Don't say anything to Jacob, good or bad. And as we'll go through the rest of the chapter, we'll see that Laban said a lot of things to Jacob. And God, again, uh, apart from grace, but I think if God appeared to me in a dream and said, don't say something to somebody, that, that's pretty clear. The instructions are pretty clear. Um, verse 25, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've deceived me. And you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so that I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Well, yeah, God said, don't say anything, but apparently Laban's not listening. And Laban is right that Jacob has deceived him. And he says this twice. But he is wrong in saying that he carried off his daughters as captives in war. When he tells Jacob that he would have sent him away with singing and joy, uh, yeah, forgive me if I don't take your word for that. Yes, he was deprived of saying goodbye, kissing his daughters and his grandchildren goodbye. Um, did he have the power to harm Jacob? Humanly speaking, perhaps. But God has already warned him not to say anything to Jacob. Uh, I think that would also mean don't do anything to Jacob. Laban could not have harmed Jacob if he had wanted Verse 30, now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's house but why did you steal my gods? Is this the real reason that he chased Jacob? Because his gods were taken, that they were stolen? Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just an excuse. Verse 31, Jacob answered, Laban, I am, was afraid because I thought you would take my daughters away from me by force. That is, Jacob feared Laban more than he trusted God. He should have trusted God, but instead he feared Laban. By the way, this is the God of Bethel who promised to keep him, to protect him. By the way, going back to the, when God appeared to him at Bethel, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob has already told his wives, God of my father has been with me. God has not allowed him to harm me. And yet it is fear that drives Jacob, as it does the human race ever since Adam and Eve's sin. 
So Jacob tells Laban, search, go through the camp. Verse 32, but if you find anyone who has your gods, he shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourselves whether there is anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and to the tent of the two maidservants, but he found nothing. So he went through everything. Also, he came out of Leah's tent. He entered Rachel's tent, or after he came out. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods, we were told that earlier, and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched but could not find the household gods. He goes through all of So now he knows everything that Jacob has because he searched through everything. Um, and Rachel deceives her father by hiding his gods and then claiming an infirmity. The, the King James, by the way, is much more delicate here for the custom of women is upon me. I, I can't stand up. So he can't find the gods. That's why apparently he was chasing Jacob. So Jacob makes his case, verse 36. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime, he asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goat have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was taken or what is stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for, for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks and you changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Uh, Do you sense some resentment here on the part of Jacob? He had worked for 20 years. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night. Sleep fled from my eyes. He worked 20 years for this man, 14 years for his two daughters, and six years for his flocks. And we've seen this phrase a number of times. Laban changed his wages 10 times. Um, I don't know if this is to be taken literally. Uh, 10 is sort of the number of completion, but he kept, he kept changing his wages. But there's something fascinating here. This is the only place in the Bible in which God is referred to as the fear of Isaac. He's the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac. Um, We'll see this again in verse number 53. It's obvious in both places it refers to God. It's a name for God. Um, It may be because of the incident in which God told Abraham to... Uh, sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, that may be why he came to be known as the fear of Isaac. 
But I think the word that is intended here is reverence. That Abraham feared God, he revered him, he obeyed him, and it's seen in the life of his son Isaac. Jacob makes his case. Now Laban makes his case, and I have to tell you, it's kind of a weak case. Verse 43. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? It's like, no, they're not your children. And you sold your daughters, remember, 14 years of working, to say it all belongs to me. And your flocks, your flocks are mine. Everything you have belongs to me. No, it does not. And again, God told Laban, don't say anything to Jacob, good or bad. And here he's like, listen, this is all mine. It's all mine. But he comes up with an interesting solution in verse number 44 uh, to the end of the chapter. Um, Let's make a covenant. You know, they've been jockeying who is in the stronger position. And Laban's like, I'm the strongest position. This is all mine. But you know what? Let's make a contract. Let's make a covenant so there will be peace between us. Verse 44, come now, let's, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Sound familiar, anybody? Bethel? Okay. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, and Jacob called it Galit. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. That is why it is called Galit. It was also called Mizpah because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar. I have set it up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. It's a fascinating end to this story. Uh, I don't think Jacob's, well, is Jacob worried that Laban will come after him, will go past this pillar or this heap of stones? Or is Laban afraid that Jacob might come in revenge against him? In any case, there's a boundary. Here's the marker, these heap of stones, this pillar, and you won't go this way, I won't come this way. Uh, we'll, we'll both go our own separate ways. But he also asked for Jacob to swear that, in fact, you're not going to take any other wives. Well, he has four wives at this point. Um, that, and you will not mistreat my daughters. Apparently, Jacob agrees. 
And as was the custom in the ancient world, they had a meal to celebrate the, this covenant. Uh, and the next morning, Laban does kiss his daughters goodbye. He kisses his grandchildren goodbye, and he goes home. It's a strange passage, I, I admit. But the story of Jacob throughout is one of grace. Grace when he was faithless for those 20 years. Grace when he acted out of fear and snuck off from Laban. Grace when he deceived. The Lord was with him all the way, even though he didn't have a sense of it, even though he did not acknowledge it. I wonder how much like Jacob we are. That God keeps us, and yet we have lost sight of that. But as Paul wrote to Timothy, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. We began with a psalm, Psalm 46. I'd like to close with a psalm, Psalm 124, one of the songs of ascents. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray together. Our Father, there are times when we open your word and study it. That we see things that are puzzling, uh, troubling. We may even ask, why are these things in scripture? That may be the case with what we've looked at today. But they are, in fact, stories of your grace. To a man you had already promised you would take care of. To a man who made a vow to you and seemingly forgot it. And for 20 years lived as though you did not exist. But you were with him. He resorted to magic, not knowing that you are the one who gives life. You are the one who determines what animals will give birth to what type of animals. Speckled, spotted. So often we take credit for things that in fact you have done. We think we are so clever. And yet you are the God of all grace. And we see in this man, not a good man, we see your grace shown time after time after time. Out of love and out of grace, you chose him. We might have chosen someone else, but that shows a lack of grace on our part. And as we read in the promise of forgiveness, you have chosen the weak things, the foolish things, 
the things that are not, to confound the wise, the strong, those who imagine that they are strong, the things that are not. I thank you for this passage that we've looked at and for how in very concrete terms it illustrates your divine grace. You are the God of Jacob. You are our refuge. May we be still and know that you are God. Thank you for bringing us together today. We pray for Tess as she flies to Europe, you would give her safety. For David UCLA as he makes decisions. For each one of us as we leave this place, may your spirit and your grace go with us. Above all, we thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.